Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to episode 71 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. This week, we are joined by another special home brewer. He is from New Hampshire, close to our current location. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, We have Ross from Gray Cat Brewing. Welcome, Ross. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, much appreciated. It's nice to have a fellow New Englander on the show. Yep, New England. New England, home of just cold weather, mosquitoes, and mud season. It is currently 40, I think it was 45 degrees and raining this morning, so it was lovely in our area. Yeah, pretty sure it's still winter. and I'm pretty sure spring just never came. Yep, exactly. Okay, so let's get right into it. I'm sure everyone's sure. dying to hear about you and how'd you get into home brewing. What's your What's your background? What's your story? Well, it started way back 100 years ago. No, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> With the f- founding fathers of our nation. <laughs> yeah. Serving beer at the uh, signing of the Declaration of Independence. If you want to know why um, New Hampshire is so important for elections, just think of the homebrewers up in New Hampshire. Right. First state, right? Yep, exactly. So, um, no, I started around 2014, which is you know an eternity ago at this point. But a neighbor of mine was like, kind of a dabbling home brewer. And um, I was pretty much into the craft beer scene, I guess you could call it, a few years before that. So, you know, I was into the Dogfish Head and Founders and all this cool stuff that yep. was coming out, like, you know, the early 2000s, you know, way back when. And um, so my wife surprised me, actually, with, a with you know, the typical starter extract kit and recipe, which I think was, I think was a Chinook IPA, if I'm not mistaken, which was absolutely terrible, of course, as it was wanted to be. Uh, and it just went on from there. So I did about five or six extract brews that year. And then I moved into all grain by 2015, by the next year. And from there, it's just completely taken over half of our basement and garage. Sounds about right. And so you started with the IPA circuit. Were you an avid IPA drinker at the time in the early 2000s when you got started? Or was this something that your wife was like, oh, well, you know, it's a kit and just beer is beer. one. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it was just a, I don't think any selection process went into this. It was just like, ah, oh, this one's good. <laughs> <laughs> kind of went from there. And and, to, and we can get into this after, but I'm not a big IPA person, believe it or not, which is, I think, sacrilege if you live in New England. Yeah, so. right. But I, I do, I like them, I enjoy them. But yeah, it just, it's one of those, whoosh, IPA, if I see those three letters, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, I don't want to be a hater on IPAs because they are great. But my matter of fact, one of my favorites is still 60-minute IPA from Dogfish. I mean, it's just, it's a great, great beer. It's just a great session beer you can kind of hang in. And, and drink and not really get that palate destruction of mm-hmm. of hops. Yeah, like you get you in there 120 it. that I happen to still have a couple <laughs> bottles of and I'm like aging it, which is nice. Like, so it does give an extra complexity to like the whole IPA. Uh, yeah, thing, it sure but does. I get you. Like having IPAs all the time, it's refreshing to try something different. So mm-hmm. I know in my home brewing, at least this season, you get all these IPAs and it's nice to, especially as a home brewer, to be able to brew, again, like I was always brewing IPAs, it seemed, because that's the style that I gravitated towards and I knew the most about. And now this season, I think I've really branched out and starting to try Ciaisons, the Belgian styles. And so that's why I'm so excited to have you on, Ross, because it seems like you are the Belgian-inspired home brewer that I've been waiting to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure nobody's ever said that to me. So it's the first first. Yeah, exactly. Test, but, but no, yeah, it's it's um, it's a lot of fun. And Belgian was just, you know, it's just, a, and, and I, 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 Belgian's 
pretty specific. I'd probably say more European styles is what really inspires me. I love the mm-hmm. English and British styles as well, but I love uh, French beer de gardes and uh, Belgian saison, Trappist styles, you know, those types. And uh, of course, Cantian and, and Trefontaine, you know, the nice tarts and sours as well. I enjoy those quite a bit. So I just migrated to the European side of the beer world and really haven't looked back. And now is that based on you went to like a craft brewery and you tried one of those styles and it was like, ooh, I want to try and brew something like this? Or how did that evolution come in your home brewing from extract to where you are now? So it actually came from a local restaurant here on Seacoast, which I don't know if you guys have heard of, but Wim is the name of it. It's in, um, they're actually in, in Hampton now. They used to be in Portsmouth, but okay. it's uh, W-H-Y-M, Water Hops Yeast and Malt. A little clever take on the on the ingredients there. And they opened, oh boy, 2013 forgive me alex for not remembering but i'm pretty <laughs> sure it was 2013 and my wife and i go there still to this day quite often my daughter actually worked there for a period of time as well the owner alex introduced me to a couple of one day he just said hey what can i get you guys and i was like you know what alex just surprise me <laughs> and don't spin in it just you know i am not the only one shan who says surprise me when People ask you, what can I get you for beer? I, I say, surprise me. And she, Shan always thought it was the weirdest thing. No, I don't think it's I weird. Say, I just know that what you like, and I just fear they'll bring you something you're not a fan of. So, or yeah, oh, looking yeah, out for you. They'll, they'll bring over like a nice, like Trappist or something, or, <laughs> or like a sour. And before I even get it to my lips, she'll go right in front of him and go, Ooh, he's not going to like this one after they like, talk it up and be like, Well, this one's a Belgian. The yeast we use is this. And I'm like all excited. And she's like, Ah, he's going to hate it. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah, it's, that's yeah, right. it's, I, it's, it, I do it often. I mean, probably less often than I used to because a lot of it was just, you know what? Never tried six or seven of the styles out of the 10 that you have. Just, mm-hmm. you know, hit me with something and, and we'll see where it goes. And worst case scenario is you don't like it, but I never, well, I shouldn't say I've dumped beer before, but <laughs> I'll always muscle it and force it down and just, all right, if, you, if it's terrible, I'm, I'm still going to finish it. But yeah, he, um, Alex introduced me. I think it was Triple Carmelite, I think was the first one he'd given me when I was instantly hooked. And of course, from there, you get into the DuPonts and the Rochefort mm-hmm. and all the Trappist styles and things. And it was just, you know, I really wanted to make beers like this, but little did I know how difficult and challenging it was yeah. to attempt to make beers like this. It was just, you know, it was something that I jumped on right away and said, oh, I want to try this. And, of course, my naive self was like, this should be easy. And <laughs> of course, it wasn't. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's where that kind of that bite came from. It And a, a part of me was I felt bad that how did I not know about this earlier? How did I not try these beers, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years earlier when they were a lot, you know, they were still mostly available. I mean, there wasn't a lot of Saisons uh, at that time, but they were still Trappist and DuPont was still around. But. I just was surprised that I hadn't gotten to that style yet. What have you found is the most challenging aspect of brewing that style beer? Uh, for brewing that style? Or, the, or is, just the style beers you like in general? Yeah, it's. I would say it's probably New England. It's <laughs> <laughs> the biggest challenge. So I brew outside, uh, outside the garage, um, not necessarily outside. But so uh, there's my season, quote unquote, I'll do... I don't know, somewhere between 20 or 25 beers a season. Wow. And my season is the hopefully end of March to hopefully the beginning of November. And it kind of flexes depending on the weather because I'm out in the cold and then across, you know, the summer months, it's really hot and humid. Maintaining those mash temps and trying to cool the wort down and things like that are just 
super difficult when it's either really cold or really hot, depending on what I've got mm-hmm. going on. And I mean, I have beers that will, or brews that will ferment in, you know, 80 to 85 degree temperatures, but you know, it's still even hard to get it cooled down to that sometimes in the, um, in the summertime without yeah. using the, the uh, glycol chiller. So um, that's probably the most challenging is just, you know, the weather, even on the raw cold days, it's like, ugh, I don't want to be out here. Yeah, exactly. So not only but, are you dealing with the temperature issue during when you're mashing and trying to control your mash temperature on the hot side of brewing, you're also having to deal with that when you're fermenting as well, yeah. dealing with temp control where for my home brewing, it's more of now that I have the electric system. Mm-hmm. It's I can control my mash temps, dial that in. That's uh, out of the question versus brewing outside. But then I still have to worry about being in New England, controlling that fermentation temperature, which you can do with controllers and other you know, additions that I think most home brewers now at our stage have some kind of temp control set up going on, whether it's glycol or, you know, an ice bath or something of that nature. And you mentioned glycol. Exactly. So what would you say for those people don't follow you on your Instagram page, what your size brewing that you're at now, or is it a propane system for those who don't know, aren't familiar with what system you're talking about? Yeah. So mine is just propane a kettle i've got an infusion mash ton i've got mostly ss brutex stuff no plug there i know no no um no sponsorship or anything yeah. unless unless they're listening they can certainly <laughs> they send should, it my way but. they should sponsor us given how much money i've sent their way over the years <laughs> right, I, i'm yeah. the same way man i'm the same way i got all ss brutex it's just i started with the brew bucket and i know you have the yep. brew bucket as well i thought it was a great introduction without getting into the you know, the uni tanks that are available now, it's just a great step up from your yeah. plastic bucket. And I see a lot of the the equipment that others have of some of the folks that follow on Instagram and they just have wonderful setups and beautiful, just perfectly clean. You wonder if they actually make a beer because these things are so clean and everything's shiny mm-hmm. and beautiful brew rooms that you go down to my garage and it looks like a train hit it. There's just <laughs> stuff everywhere. And, you know, I try to keep it as... <laughs> as uh, orderly as possible but most of the time it's just oh god it's a six hour seven hour brew day depending on you know what what happens and so it can be it can be tough to keep that stuff in in somewhat order now i see your very organized homebrew and chin was actually pointing this out to me of like why don't you have all these spreadsheets that have all your strike temps and your mash temps <laughs> and all, all your things laid out and i'm like i don't have time for that i try to stay as organized as i can but it's goals, right? So how do you use that organization to your advantage in your home brewery? Well, I do. It, it's so the little background is I work for a software company. It's my day job. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't make beer as a day job, which of course, everybody says, why don't you do this full time? And, you know, well, mortgage and kids, yeah. grandkids, you know, Expenses, you know yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You guys wouldn't, right? Sure. Yeah. With the all those other things going on. So now I have a, uh, I work for a software. Okay. I've been in the software industry since, you know, I'll mumble the time to kind of date myself too much here, but I can, I can beep um, over it if you want. Yeah, well, Give him the beep. Where's the beep, Shannon? Come on. There we go. <laughs> well, you might need that for other, <laughs> yeah. other things if I keep having beers. But... <laughs> no, but seriously, I use um, software for everything. I mean, I'm also on the side, I'm also a D&D player when, when I can be, and I, mm-hmm. I'm a musician, so I do a lot of things just with software and the and the, the training and the career I've had forever. So I'm always spreadsheet or some wacky thing going on that's probably five steps more than I need for the thing I'm actually trying to accomplish. But so yeah, my spreadsheets help immensely. I mean, with 25 brews a season, I, I, yeah. I, I, I have a starter that I 
put on yesterday. I don't even remember what the yeast is or what the brew is this Saturday or oh, Sunday, wow. whenever I can do it, just because I have so many going on. Pretty sure it's a French ale, but it's just one of those <laughs> things that it keeps it just keeps my mind square with all the stuff that's going on because it's my job is a busy thing too. So sometimes I can't think about it and I come back. I'm like, all right, where was I? Did I clean that out? Did I train change that over to this? And you know, trying to come up with all the things I have to do during the week. And so it, it helps a lot. But yeah, I'm definitely a data nerd. It, secrets out. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have all your ingredients on hand? Do you like to store for like planning ahead with the next couple brew days are going to be like or do you ad hoc get what you need just for the next maybe one or two brews and then how, how do you handle ingredients for your belgian beers i buy everything in bulk that i can with the exception of yeast only because yeah the shelf life of those and such so I'll, most like the first six or seven brews for this season i had the yeast for i've got maybe one or two brews left before i have to go out and get the next five or six that I'm brewing um, over the summer. And I have some local shops, but, and being um, Belgian and French styles and European styles and being in new England, a lot of the smaller shops, they have, you know, the English ale yeast for the, or the Vermont yeast or the, the you know, the IPA and the any IPA yeast and the ingredients and the hops, not a lot of Belgian stuff and not a lot of, Hey, do you have white labs Abbey four? And they look at me like, what do you, what, Abby, what? <laughs> You're like the third person in four years that have requested that. Why would I have that on stock? <laughs> right. That's exactly why I don't have it in stock because yeah. nobody ever asked for it. And, and it's hard for them too. And I try to, to support local shops as much as I can. So a lot of times I'll get equipment or keg parts, you know, things like that at the shops. If I can't get ingredients, I'll always get something there. But yeah, so I buy in sacks of 55 pounds of Dingman's Pilsner is usually my most of my base malts. And I use crisp Maris Otter for a lot of my non-Belgian stuff, a lot of my British styles. And I have a couple like American brown styles, a couple of, you know, just different oddball styles that I like of brews that I make. So I, I do stock up. And I think this year I've got all hops and all grain for the entire season through November. Wow. So I might need a little bit more Pilsner, but yeah. So I have a spreadsheet, of course, of here's all the recipes. Here's how many of roughly pounds of each that I need and, you know, the weights and all that stuff for each thing. And it totals it up so I can just go buy it. That's awesome. And, um, you know, I'll make a day trip or something. And I usually go to Beer Wine Hobby, which is local to me. Well, it's in Massachusetts, actually. It's mm -hmm. down in Danvers. But so I use them for, for my bigger stuff because they tend to carry the big sacks of grain and such. But So that leads me into a couple of questions. One, sure. <laughs> how big are your batches that you're brewing when you do uh, each brew? Because you said you have 25 beers typically that you brew. So that's a lot of ingredients. It's a lot of beer. <laughs> that's a lot of beer. Yes, my stomach will, will attest to that. No, I, of course, I don't drink it all myself. I pawn it off a lot of my neighbors and people at work. Yeah. And here, try this. <laughs> Tell me if it's crap or not. My brew sizes are five gallon or five and a half gallon. That's okay. usually how I work it just for loss and things like that. But so five and a half. Yeah, everything I have is 10 gallon mash tun, 10 gallon kettle and uh, four or five brew buckets now. I think five. And where do you store all of that stuff? Like, do you have huge plastic containers like where, what do you do with it all once you get it? So a lot of the grains, well, with the with the base malts, those big sacks, I try to get it out of the sacks mm -hmm. and put them into, they have these vittle vaults, actually, that from, I think I got them on Amazon where everybody gets everything. Mm -hmm. And they're basically for like cat food, dog food, things like that. And so I use that to store the base grains that I have. And the smaller ones, I just use these airtight kind of Tupperware sort of containers that lock and some of them hold two pounds, some hold three or four. 
they're all different sizes. Some stuff is still in Ziploc bags until yeah. I can get to it. But for the most part, it's stored somewhat orderly in a, a little cabin that I have. And a lot of it is just to make sure I keep the critters out and things yeah. like that. Not that we have mice or anything, but you will get them if you. Well, that's <laughs> that what I, exactly where around. my mind was going. Cause I was like, well, I know in new England when, as soon as the weather is a little bit cold, those critters like to come inside and what better place yep. to take a nap than a big sack of grain. <laughs> and I'm like, that's probably be your worst nightmare. You go in to make a beer and there's there's mice taking a lot. I think that snooze. would definitely ruin my day if I went to scoop out my like <laughs> oh my, God. My, my like what I needed for my beer and there was like a dead mouse in there. I'd be like, seriously, like fifty five pounds of grains down yeah. the drain. Wow. I was I my day was ruined the other day when we had a dead mole outside in the garden. I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would be sad for the loss of life. You'd be sad for the loss of <laughs> the grains. loss of beer ingredients <laughs> yes. and what it took yeah. to get those ingredients to my to my door. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you're talking to a cat guy here, so mice. Eh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, Shane. Know your audience. Cats, so. you're, talking, you're talking to a guy who's got a cat. We have three, actually. Three cats and one on the way, so we'll have four pretty soon. Oh, wow. Okay, so that kind of leads me into your, as we said at the top of the show, your gray cat brewing. So is that based off of one-year cats? Do you only have gray cats? Where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't discriminate. We definitely don't discriminate. We just, we have all shapes and colors and sizes and, and boys and girls and all that. That's now we hilarious. have three cats. We have three cats now, uh, Cooter, Chloe, and Penny. And um, we had Pippi we lost last year. That was our fourth. Right. And we have a new little one on the way pretty soon. She's just about seven or eight weeks old, so we haven't quite ready for her yet. Um, so their name, Great Cat came from two of our first cats that we had that we unfortunately lost in 2018 and 2019. It's been terrible last couple of years oh, for the no. cats. Oh, no. um, so anyway, they were, those two cats were just identical. They were three years apart, came from different litters, you know, came from completely different places, but they were like twins. It was just the funniest thing. And when I, of course, when I saw them, you know, God, I can't, they look the same. And then it's like, mm-hmm. like a little mini me cat and it's fantastic. So they had this just gray and white, you know, white feet and just all gray just beautiful cats. And I said, well, you know, they've always been the, the, the first ones and they're the ones that have been around the longest. So I wanted to incorporate them into the logo and branding as best as possible and just try to make it unique, you know, like they were a pretty unique cat. So I said, I'm going to try to do that. And then, um, you know, a lot of my friends will just say it's well, cause I'm graying in my advanced age. And <laughs> I'm the gray cat. But... Now you're the, yeah, now you're the gray. <laughs> you're just morphing into your me. brand. <laughs> yeah. You're just morphing into the brand. Yeah, and the logo came about about a year and a half ago. So uh, Caitlin from Fenrir Brewing, um, yeah. uh, her and Garrett up in uh, Alaska, she took care of that for me. I, I kind of pinged her one day on Instagram and saw some of her posts, and it's just some of the work she was some of the work, all of the work she was doing was amazing. <laughs> and um, so it was a simple choice. It was just uh, kind of had a hard time visualizing. Like I said, I'm a software guy. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data guy. I'm a geek. But creative stuff is a little bit, eh, I kind of knew what I wanted. So I, you know, I had a cat somewhere on it and maybe a shield and heraldry kind of European feel to it, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. the colors were actually a last minute idea also of just, hey, the Belgian flag colors would look fantastic on that. You know, I'm sure Caitlin was like, oh, my God. What? <laughs> but, She's probably like, God, my whole palette's destroyed here but sure make the committee yeah i'm happen. pretty sure the first palette she sent was, was blue based which was awesome because i love blue as my favorite color but i as we kind of morphed into the ideas and she somehow unscrambled all my stream of consciousness emails mm-hmm. about what i was asking for she made it happen she just put this into her logo we really tweaked 
only a few things and uh, she went to town with it. And I think I've got, I must have given away about three or 400 stickers and coasters since I've done that logo. And, and she gave me a, a generic can bottle label that oh, cool. I can use. I can just edit it, change the color, you know, add the text I want on it and print it. So it's just has the logo and a pretty generic text on it, but it works great for those beers that I didn't, you know, really design a, a can label for or a bottle label for. So yeah, it really came out great. So she did a wonderful job on that. Yeah, she's awesome. She also did our logo and uh, same thing. Well, she mostly dealt with James, so I can only imagine what she went through. But (laughs) Shane's like, I'll let James handle this one. I've dealt with, you know, being married to him all these years that I'm going to let his creativeness just in like her channel it instead of me telling channeling that. You just had a lot of big ideas that I knew from being. Big ideas that need to be brought down to earth. That just were, they were great ideas, but not really logo based ideas like too much stuff going on so caitlin did a great job of like you said paring it down and and yeah, going through james's thoughts. Yeah. exactly yeah. Right. exactly as home brewers <laughs> yeah. you tend to have the the beer eyes right you want to you know yeah, i want to put this ingredients. in i don't want to put yeah. that in it i want to do this i want to do that like, then i want foamy things, things out of the can and i'm like okay this is a little <laughs> got a little too much but i want the can to be exploding <laughs> but not exploding yeah and if you want to catch uh caitlin on her instagram if you're curious and you're a home brewer you can check her out at A-I-T-H-O-N creative on Instagram. Yeah, I will co-sign that. She did a wonderful job on that. And I, st- I like I said, I still get comments from people like, wow, that logo is really good and it fits what I'm doing, but they just like how it came out in the style and such. Yeah, so. I, I like it too. And I, I honestly didn't pick up on the Belgian colors of the flag until you just mentioned <laughs> that, but, but it makes sense. And I'm also not like... The most flags I've studied is when I watch Big Bang Theory and Sheldon has fun with flags on. So that's the only <laughs> insight I really have into flags beyond our own. So but that, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like I said, it was a last minute thing. I was like, well, I want two colors on the shield just to kind of make it stand out. Wait a minute. And it kind of, you know, Dawn broke on Marblehead. And I said, yeah, let's try the Belgian colors. And so we, she actually, I, th- I don't remember if I did or she did, but one of us got the actual color codes for those specific mm-hmm. colors, you know, the official. So I didn't want to upset anybody or make sure they were yeah, as close exactly as possible. Accurate. And, yep. you know, I don't want the Belgians to hate me already. Yeah, right. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> creative liberties, okay, Ross? Create, you're just being creative. You're you're spinning it. You're appreciating the culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's America. We can do that, right? We just appropriate everyone's <laughs> stuff. So what's the difference? Yeah, it's, that's ours. We'll just do this. Yeah. I, think, I think it's just another great aspect to beer in general. It's just the creativity of not only naming what your brewery or as a home brewer saying like, oh, I'm a brewery. Like I know some haters and who are craft brewers are like, you know, founders are like, well, you're not really a brewery. It's like, well, it's like, don't don't hate. It's like, don't hate on the home brewers. Okay. Um, well, it just means that, a, or to them, it just means that a brewery needs to sell, I guess, or be, I don't know. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, you have to identify yourself somehow, especially on social media. You can't be like, you know, Ross's cool, awesome Belgian brews or something. That just yeah. sounds stupid. And if you, you say like, to, Ross's home brewing, like, it's like, I used to say like <laughs> Spice City home brewing or Spice City home brews. And it's like, it just doesn't sound cool. It, there's a reason why you keep it short, like keep it short, stupid. And you've like, also spent enough money to start a brewery essentially so why not just call yourself a brewery yeah when you get into the numbers we're talking about spending (laughs) it's like i think i've uh, i've inherited a little bit of license to be able to give myself a name i mean i've basically started a small business with the amount of money that has gone into this so 
or, yeah, or more like, like, more like a charity. You're, like you're, <laughs> you're in the red, right? Like, what's your profit? <laughs> Zero. How much do you spend? Oh, thousands. Oh, wow. That doesn't sound like it's a good a charity business. to yourself. That's why yep. it's a hobby. To me, from me, love yeah, me. To, to me. And what, that red digit that just keeps going up every year. Yep. <laughs> it never <Yep>. gets smaller. <laughs> You're increasing your own salary. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, But it's fun. Yeah, it's exactly. And speaking of fun, what is your favorite beer that you've brewed to date? Oh, to date? Let's see. 130 beers. Let me see. That's a lot of beers. I should say 130, 130 brews. I've actually done some repeated repeat ones i have some quote flagship which i hate saying that word too because i feel like the craft brewery is gonna get mad at me for saying that <laughs> too but you know the ones i make every year or the ones that people like or the ones that i like and i have a, a pretty good staple of that so i'd say maybe 10 or 11 every season or beers that i repeat every year but so i'd say probably and i've i'd say i do a belgian triple called uh, bowtie tuesdays which is this little story behind it. it took me maybe two or three years to really get it down and the problem with that i was having with it was really came down to fermentation temperature control so once i got into that which every book article blog in french and german and dutch that i read about belgian beers was temperature control is super key you know step mashing and temperature control at fermentation is mm -hmm. just the only way you can get the things you want to get out of the yeast and out of the brew that you're making so once I got into that, that beer just really took off and and it's really good. Like I think it lasted maybe eight or nine days in the keg last year. When I made it. Wow. it was one of those those quick ones. But so Bowtie Tuesdays is a name I gave it. There's a little quick story behind it. But uh, the friend that that was a home brewer that kind of was talking to me about home brewing and said, "Hey, you should do it." He's a neighbor that lives two houses down from me. And it's a little sad part of the story. First, he unfortunately suddenly passed away in 2015 at the very young age of 38. Oh, and uh, But he was a high school English teacher. And he started a trend at his school where he wore a bow tie every Tuesday to his classes. And his students and all the other teachers and colleagues like really picked up on it and started this trend at the school to do that. And they participated all the time. And it just became a great memory for them. Mm -hmm. So I decided it was a great name for the beer in his honor. And his wife and 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 or his daughter still are our neighbors. They still live a couple houses down from us. So every time I make it, I make sure that they get first crack at all the pours and the growlers that I do before anybody else does. So, oh, that's but so it's sweet. a great beer. Yeah, it's a wonderful beer. It's nine and a half inch percent. So it's a, wow. it's a little bit of a bomb, but it's uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. what I'm it's, talking about. It's leaving his mark just like he did. Yep, I call them night-night beers. <laughs> you know, get one of those and, okay, night-night, yeah, I'll yeah. see you tomorrow. <laughs> now, in beers like that, that are higher ABV, within that style, what's the one part that you've really had the most difficulty tweaking? Is it the, getting the most out of the aroma? Is it getting the mouthfeel? Is it the f flavor itself what, or the yeast that you want to use to get that flavor that really brings out for that higher ABV or what's the one thing that you give to somebody as advice if they're going to brew something like that? Yes. All of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so the, for that particular brew, it was, I mean, a Belgian triple is a very particular style. It's, you know, typically associated, I mean, by category and such it's associated with Trappist and everything, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of places that will do triples that aren't obviously Trappist breweries. So it just kind of gets lumped in with those styles, but it's, it's very, it's tough because it's really yeast driven because of the nature of the grain bill that's on it. There's really not a lot of grain in it. I'm 
kind of clicking through my thing real quick to see what I have actually in it. But what it really um, shines with is the yeast and, you know, the mouthfeel and the aroma and all that has to be really good. And you can, it's always one of those things where I never was able to get all of those. I always got one or two of those things and then you know, something else kind of fell off. So every year I tweak it a little bit. Okay, what did I not get? Okay, mouthfeel. Okay, let me change the mash temperature. No, step mash at this time. And I only started step mashing it maybe four or five years ago. And that's really when it started to take off. And really Which make a lot a of people, yeah, yeah it, it does make a difference to me. A lot of people will argue that step mashing really doesn't need to be done because malts these days are already well modified. They're not, there's no need to do it. But I found that beers that I have a lot of wheat or, um, triticale which is a wheat rye hybrid a lot of those types of grains do need a protein rest at 120 ish degrees and then maybe a beta rest somewhere in the 140s and then a an alpha rest in the mid to higher 150s and that's kind of the schedule i've gone with with this one and it's been it's been great like it's really helped and it is literally pilsner uh, pilsner malt and a little bit of aromatic and a little bit of vienna but it's mostly Pilsner, about 15 pounds worth, actually, uh, for a five-gallon batch. Wow. So, and the the sugars really what gets it up to the nine, you know, nine-ish, nine half percent is what it averages out at. And the hop bill on that one was a little rough too. I, I played with a lot of different things, but I settled on Nugget actually, which is typically a high alpha um, type of hop where you get, you know, you get aroma from it, you get good flavor, depending on where you have it in the boil and just finish it off with a, with a size, small size hop towards the end of the boil. And that's really all I do. And I let the yeast take over. And I think the water pro profile helps a little bit, but I think it's mostly just the yeast, which is the, um, for that one, I use the white labs monastery 500, I believe it is. And, um, fermented at about 64 degrees and just let it run and then throw it in secondary for about six weeks and perfect. It just comes out great every time I make it. So I feel it's one of those ones that I've really got nailed down finally, you know, after umpteen, I don't even know how many years, eight years, nine years. Definitely of, feels uh, good when it. you finally nail down a recipe and it's like, like you've got the white right. whale. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then finally the whale it is yeah. for sure. And but, as home um, yeah. brewers, we're overly critical of all our beers to the almost the point where it's like you have this perfection and then you're still criticizing something with the beer. Yeah. And if you don't do that, even if it's silly, like I do that a lot. I'm like, oh my God, my starting gravity should have been 1077. It was 1076. What happened? You know, <laughs> it's like, all right, calm down. Hold on. But if you don't do that, if you don't look at it critically, it, it's it's hard to make it better if it mm -hmm. just you know, and there's some things you can ignore and not have to worry about, but there are particular things that I keep an eye on that help get those beers to where they need to be. So, and I've knock on wood yet to have a, a bad batch of that. Really. The first one wasn't fantastic, but it just didn't have everything. It was good, but it just didn't have everything that I wanted. And now it's, it's, it's done pretty well. So yeah, I feel like a style, I suppose that's my favorite. I feel like okay. a style like that too. It's a lot harder to hide those imp purities and imperfections unlike an ipa where you can just throw more hops in you can cover a lot with bitterness and a lot with those hops that you yep. know like a blondale i used to be like one of those people that was like 
oh, a Blondale, no thanks. Like, it's just bland. Like, don't need a Blonde, don't need a Kolsch. But now I'm, like, appreciating those beers way more as I'm trying to brew those styles. Because now I'm like, I can't hide anything in this beer. If it tastes, you know, not good, like, you're going to taste it. You're going to know. Like, you can't throw yep. more hops at it and be like, oh, now it's a citrusy, hazy, you know, New yeah. England IPA. <laughs> yeah. It does make it, like, you, one of those things that you have to – you, like you said, you know that somebody who knows the style you're trying to make is going to pick that right mm-hmm. out if there's something not right with it. And, you know, of course, your mom and your brother are always going to say, oh, this thing's the best beer you've ever made. But, you know, anybody that's critically looking at something will say, well, you know, this is a Kolsch. It's supposed to be like this or that. And, yeah, so, yeah it's it's a tough it's it's tough. It can be stressful sometimes, and it really shouldn't be. I'm like, this is supposed to be fun and a hobby. Why am I getting stressed out about this? <laughs> I don't comp, so I don't, you know, I have nothing to <laughs> really – like if my neighbors like it, I'm in. Good, good enough for me. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are right now. I'd say. Well, I don't know. James might feel differently, but I think if our neighbors think it's good, it's a win. Yeah, if nobody's spitting it out, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like my bottom now. Like, is just like, is it drinkable? Like, if the answer is no, then it's like, all right. Like, forget about it. But, like, if they say it's drinkable and they don't say anything else, then I know it's like, all right, well, even they say it's drinkable, that's probably, like, an indication I need to at least do a lot of work to that beer. Yeah, and and there's a few of uh, – Bowtie Tuesdays of the triple is one that, that I like. But there's a, a Belgian Dark Strong a Quad. There's um, a double that I do. There's a Beer to Guard. That's a, and, and it's funny because a Beer to Guard, I actually use um, a harvested yeast from – Sometimes I use DuPont, but um, I've used Oxbow actually once from the uh, up in Maine. I got a couple of yeast cultures from their bottled dregs, which worked amazingly. And it was probably one of the best yeasts and beers I had had at that point for the style I used it in. But, so I tend to do that once in a while. And some of these Belgian bottles that I get, I'll harvest the yeast and see what I can do with it and just to see, okay, but man, what, what's their secret? They have just some secret yeast that nobody knows about, <laughs> and this is what makes it so awesome. And you know, and of course, it works. The yeast does its job, but you realize that well, it's not just that. They're just really good at what they do. Yeah, but exactly. um, <laughs> but it's fun to do that, so you can kind of, you know, get different flavors of different styles and types. But yeah, if you don't nail those styles to somebody who's expecting and knows what that style is, it's yeah, it can be a little nerve wracking. If all right, do they like it or is it just they just being nice? What's <laughs> exactly? So out of because I'm not. I mean, I drink. Belgian styles, but I'm not an expert in them. Out of the Belgian styles and the hot varieties that go along with it, what is your, or in general, I guess, what is your favorite hot variety to use? Oh, that's tough. That's probably, I'd say the most used type that I have is, is Saz, is Czech Saz. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of Saisons, Bearded Guards. Sometimes I'll use Strisselfall for, for Bearded Guards, but so I'd say it's probably a uh, it's probably a three-way tie between size steering goldings i like but uh willamette or willamette however you're inclined to pronounce it is one of my favorites that i use for a lot of different styles like i use it in an american brown but i also use it in a belgian style and a saison and stuff and i just just love the um the characteristics out of those three hops so yeah size steering goldings and and willamette okay yeah, I know gold. you said one, but I yeah, it's okay. No, I do the same thing. I'm Sometimes like, you can't choose. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I think that the the Goldings, I I love using that in the Williamite too. Is one of those ones I think I use more often than I 
know that I do. Like, I think I use it more beers, and I'm always like, oh, my favorites are Galaxy, you know, like the sexy ones, you know, Galaxy <laughs> and Citra and Mosaic and Simcoe. And then I yep. always forget about those ones when I'm using them all the time in different beers. Yep. Yeah, the Idaho 7 is really, really good, too. And then my wife and I had gone out for – we had a, a big anniversary a few years ago, and we went to the Pacific Northwest, so to Seattle and mm-hmm. British Columbia and places out there and did some kayaking, had some fun out there. Of course, went to some breweries, and we had a few that were right down the road from where we were staying, which was great. And Bastion Brewery, which is in Anacortes, Washington, mm-hmm. we went there, and they actually – let us go out back for a tour. And, and I asked, you know, this man, I'm, I told the brewer, I'm like, I'm really not a huge IPA person, but this is really good. Like there's just something about it. And it really, it, they were calling it a new England IPA, but it did have a West coast kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. But he said, Oh, it's just, you know, the usual Simcoe. And I think it was mosaic. And then he said, whatever the code name was for it at the time, but I guess it eventually oh, became yeah. Idaho seven and it was called like HBC four, three, one or something <laughs> like that. You know, it, it sounded like a, you know, the name of a bill coming out of Congress or something, yeah. but it was Idaho seven. And for the longest time I couldn't find it. And then I got some through, I'll say Yakima Valley. I think I got it through. And when it became available and made an IPA out of it, which I hadn't made an IPA in a while. And it was a hit. Everybody loved that style. There's just something about that hop that I thought was really good. So as far as my favorite IPA hops, which mm, a huge IPA guy again, but I'd say Idaho 7 would probably be that that one for me. I think that's becoming one of my new favorites. The Idaho 7 with pair it with Amarillo and Mosaic and bam, yep. that trifecta is like a beautiful combination. Yeah. And you can really mix and match that as far as amounts of each and just really coax some different aromas and, and flavors and such from it. So it's pretty amazing. And again, that's like from finding like craft beers that like I liked. And then I saw, was reading the can and being like, all right, what hops did they use in this beer? So, like that I want to try and emulate. Okay. They use this or by just chance. All right. I don't have any Idaho seven. Let me look up substitutes. I might have the hop, you know, substitute that's close. And then you find something new. So yep. okay. yeah. And the, I think the, New England style and the IPAs and the hazies and all that, not just those, but have really made that hop market just explode. Mm-hmm. I don't, I remember it being tough to find, not tough, but harder to find hops years ago when I had first started. But once those IPAs and such started rolling out, it was all of a sudden those tons of hop styles everywhere and every store had a lot of different hop styles. So I think it was, it was good for, for kind of opening that market for a lot of, home brewers as well. You didn't just get these same three or four hops. You had, you know, 20 or 30 different ones to choose from. Yeah, definitely. So before we wrap it up for today, um, one last question for you, cause you're yeah. very prevalent on Instagram. What kind of made you want to share your story or your, your home brewing journey through that medium? Well, being a software tech guy for as long as I have, I'm not a huge social media person only because of the, all the different types and styles and Facegram and Instabook yeah. and all these other <laughs> things that my kids use and you know it's the, just wasn't really into a lot of that and, and mainly just wanted it because I can take pictures I can put styles out there and I can connect with other brewers because it was a good medium for quick discussions about things you know making friends with mm-hmm. people that do the same types of beer like um, the same styles you do and things like that and you can get a lot of good connections that way and, and it, Instagram was just easier <laughs> honestly for me to use I right, take a couple pictures and put a thing and what the hell is hashtag? I don't even know what a hashtag <laughs> is. Okay, I'm going to make up some. You know, after a while of learning all that, it just kind of pulled together. And so, yeah, Instagram is the only place you'll find me right now. I have a web 
site where I've got some of my recipes and, and equipment uh, lists and things like that. But for the most part, it's just um, Instagram. Okay. And that's just Gray Cat Brewing? Yeah, Gray Cat underscore brewing, I okay. believe. That's a very, very important part. No question when mark on the end of that. Saying, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gray Cat underscore brewing. Great. So if you guys want to check him out, head on to, over to Instagram and look at his page. Well, thank yeah, you, Yeah, check Ross. it out, please. Yeah, thanks, Ross, for joining us uh, on the special Homebrewer Highlight episode. So thank you for joining us from New Hampshire. East Coast, baby. Thank yeah, that's you. That's right, East Coast, New England. <laughs> and Shane and I are on a mission uh, to get home brewers from every state of the United States on the show. So if you're a home brewer and want to come on our show, make sure you DM us on our Instagram page at Double Hoppy Podcast. And make sure you follow uh, Ross on his Instagram page at GreyCat underscore brewing to follow his home brewing journey. Yeah. So thank you again, Ross. Really appreciate it. And thank, thank you, you all. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. This has been Double Hoppy. Catch you on the brew side.